Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It really is. I love Christmas. I love winter. I love snow. I love it all. It's great. So I'm really happy to be here with you guys on this Christmas morning. Um, one of the things I love about Christmas, and we, we've talked about it a little bit, is the peace that comes with Christmas and winter. Now, I know Christmas can be kind of crazy, uh, hectic, trying to buy all the presents and, and, and traveling and stuff like that, but I feel like there's always like a moment when everyone just kind of chills out and we realize that the world still turns without us getting all the stuff done. And I think about this one year, I was, uh, it was one of the rare satisfying snows in Joplin for me. Um, it snowed kind of all day and into the night. <clears throat> and I remember just kind of on a whim, just kind of going outside, it was nighttime, and watching the snow, sort of last few flakes falling. It was so quiet. It's like everyone had just packed it up and gone home. No cars out, no dogs barking. You didn't even hear like planes in the sky. Nothing. Just quiet, peaceful. Took some deep breaths. Watch the, I don't know, mist, whatever it is. Whenever you're breathing, you can see your breath. And then we have a street lamp on our, on our street. And, and that and the Christmas lights and, and the, the moon created this just magical brightness as the light bounced off all the snow. So peaceful. I love moments like these, don't you? Just peace. I long for moments of peace. But I want I want peace that goes beyond my moments, that goes beyond what I'm experiencing right now. I want peace that, that's an anchor for my soul, peace that I can count on regardless of what the moment brings me right then. I want this kind of peace, don't you? Last week we started a series called New Beginnings about how Jesus started something new when he came to the world. And Mark Scott talked about how this new beginning needed a disruption, that Jesus created this disruption and can create this disruption in our lives that jolts us out of our normal life and helps us engage this glorious hope that Jesus has for us. And so this week we're gonna talk about this new beginning needs an anchor, something we can hold on to that will bring us true peace. But before we get started, let let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would speak, that we would see Jesus, that we would be amazed and enamored with Jesus today. God, help me to get out of the way. I pray that you would do what you wanna do today in us, through us, for yourself. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna be in John chapter one. Uh, If you've got a Bible or a Bible app or whatever you got. Um, John chapter one, we're gonna be looking at verses four and five. Actually, in the worship guide, I think it just has verse four and five in there, so you can just look at that if you want. Um, That's easy. Let me read it for you guys, and I think it's in this verse, in these verses, that we'll find that anchor, that foundation that we can hold on to in this new beginning. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. That's it. That's the passage. But I have kind of a problem with this passage, in particular verse five, and it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That sounds really good, right? That sounds like happy, it's sort of beautiful and poetic, it has this like ring of, of truth to it. I wanna believe it, but it doesn't feel true. At least not to me, maybe not to you. I mean, look around. Like, is the light really shining in the darkness and the darkness is just powerless to overcome it? Is that how we experience life? Or does it kind of feel like the darkness is overwhelming the light? Like the wheels are coming off. Like there's not really any hope for true peace in our world. I think a statement that might feel more true to me is if it said, I really wish I could see a light shining in the darkness. That'd be nice. But it doesn't. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what could this passage mean? What does it mean? Now, some of you guys may be skipping ahead. You're like, well, I was here last week. I kind of know what it means. Or, you know, you got all the answers. But just bear with me for a second because this sounds good. This sounds poetic. And I think there's things in our world, in our culture, maybe even in our hearts that we kind of believe or we hope to believe or we want to believe. And I want to walk through three of those things today that might try to explain this passage to us. The first one I call good guys win. Well, maybe that's what this passage means. Maybe it means the good guys will win. That victory will be snatched from the jaws of defeat. The darkness of evil cannot overcome the light of good. It's that whole good versus evil thing. Good is more powerful than evil. The Avengers will defeat Thanos. Luke will turn Vader to the light side. Frodo and Sam, they will destroy the ring. Yeah, yeah. It's what all our most popular stories point to, isn't it? This idea that good will win, it's what we pay untold amounts of money to watch and read over and over and over again. Now, there's a reason why superhero movies are so popular, right? Well, one of the reasons is because I think there's probably a lot of us who see superheroes not so much as fantasies, but options, right? The comedian Seinfeld said this, that, that boys uh, tend to see superheroes as like career choices. So they're going to see these movies or reading these comic books, they're, they're job hunting. Right? What, what, what do I want for my future? I know that I was that way when I was a kid growing up, people would ask me what I wanted to be and I said in absolute seriousness, Superman. It was an option. It's not really working out for me but I'm still trying. But I think there's a deeper reason why these movies are so popular. It's that we desperately want to believe that no matter how powerful the bad guys are, the good guys will win. That good is more powerful than evil. Is that what this passage means? Is that what this passage is talking about? This, is that the light? The good guys will win? No. That's not what this passage is talking about. That cannot be the anchor for us. It cannot be where we place our trust because it's a fantasy. It's not how life actually works. Bad guys win a lot. 
good guys fail a lot. It cannot be our anchor. Okay, so what about this? How about this one? I call this one count your blessings. This is the optimistic outlook on life. You know, like, think about your life. Like, how is it really going? There's some good stuff in there, right? Some of you guys were there with me already. You're like, when I was describing darkness being overwhelming and the bad guys losing, you're like, you're the bad guys winning. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not, it's not all bad. There's some good stuff. Come on, man. We need people like you. The world needs you optimists. I am not an optimist. Once I tried to tell my wife that I think I might be an optimist, and she laughed in my face. <laughs> so I guess I'm not. But some of my favorite people in the whole world are optimists. So maybe that's what this passage means. Maybe it means look on the bright side. There's always a silver lining. Just count your blessings. Or my personal favorite, it could be worse. The thinking is this, that if we took all of our stuff, all of our bad things, all the darkness in our life, all our struggles, and we put it all in a list, like we just listed it out, all the bad things in the world, things happening to us, things happening around us, put it all in a list over here, we got it all out, and then we took another list, and we counted all our blessings. We put all of our good things and blessings and happinesses and joys in this list, that if we really took stock, if we really looked this list would outweigh this list if we just had that perspective. So maybe that's what this passage means. Maybe that's the light that shines in our, our, our blessings, that optimistic outlook on life. It's the light that shines in the darkness of all of the bad and hard stuff in our life. Maybe that's what this means. Is this it? Is this our anchor? No. Why not? Well, because while it might be good to be mindful of the good things in your life, while it might be even good to make those lists and really think about it, at the end of the day, most days, it doesn't really matter what makes those lists. Because one bad thing can feel like a dump truck of darkness that no amount of ice cream or children's giggles can dig us out of. Our anchor cannot be our optimism. So what else? I call this one the moral squad. Maybe this means that we get together with other people and we try to form a moral squad. We're going to be like righteous and ethical and moral and we're going to make all the right choices and do all the good things and we're going to offset all the bad in this world. I'm not sure if any of you guys are fans of the show, The Good Place, but that's kind of the premise of the show, is that this little squad of people get together and they're trying to figure out what it means to be good, how to be more good, and to do enough good to offset the bad. And they're struggling against evil and, and trying to outsmart evil, and when one fails, they, they kind of gather around, encourage each other, and they try again and again and again, like life. So maybe that's it. Maybe the light that shines in the darkness is inside us. Maybe we're the light that shines in the darkness. We're going to live lives that push back against that darkness. We're going to band together 
and be so moral and so ethical that we'll show the way for the world and we'll dismantle those forces of evil. We're gonna hashtag this so hard. We're gonna raise all of the awareness. We're gonna change our profile pics and start a GoFundMe. We're gonna show that darkness what's what. It seems good, right? I mean, we should try to be moral. We should try to make good decisions and help people. We should try to band together and encourage one another in that, right? So maybe that's what this passage means. Maybe we're the light that shines in the darkness. But it's not. That's not what this passage means. Why? Why not? Because we're not good enough. We'll never be good enough. Someone will always hijack our hashtag or sabotage our squad or, or be selfish, prideful, abusive. Someone will always mess it up. And here, I think, is the clue to what this passage truly means. In order to find the answer to what does this passage mean, we have to answer two questions. What is the light and what is the darkness? Now, someone once told me that if you want to sound really smart and profound, you trade what for who. So it it really works. It makes you sound super smart. So let's try it. So like, what is the meaning of Christmas? You mean who is the meaning of Christmas? Got them. Yeah. You can also do it with like wins and wares sometimes. It's pretty cool. Makes you sound awesome. Sometimes it doesn't work though. It's like, hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> One of the reasons this switch feels so profound, I believe, is because of how Jesus fulfills so many of the what's of the Bible. So often, the answer to what ended up being a who, Jesus. And that is profound. It's paradigm shifting. It changes everything. The light is not something theoretical. It's not an idea. It's not a fill in the blank with whatever you want it to be. It's not general goodness. The light has nothing to do with how you feel or what you might think in your moments. The light is something very specific. The light is Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? You mean who does it, I'm just kidding. Uh, What does it mean that Jesus is the light? What would the original audience have have heard when they were reading this or being read this passage that we're in today? Now, last week, Mark Scott showed us how uh, the passage we're studying is actually a mirror image to the creation account in Genesis. See, Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John 1, it sounds an awful lot like it. It says, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And through him, all things were made. But the comparison goes further. Let me read Genesis 1, 1 through 6 to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness. See, when God creates everything else in the creation account, 
it follows it up with like, and it was so, and that's how it happened. But when he commands light, it says, and there was light. And there are some scholars who think that this means that light wasn't so much created as it entered the scene because light represents God's presence, God's glory. Now, when we think of light, we might think of like the sun and the moon and the stars or maybe like light bulbs or cell phone flashlights. But in the creation account, the sun and the moon and the star, they weren't created until the fourth day. Plants were created on the third day. And the idea is this, is that the light that entered into the creation account was God's presence. And it gave life to his creation directly. John 1 verse 4 says, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. You see, when the people read this passage or heard this passage, they wouldn't have thought, oh, Jesus must be bright. Jesus must be like in general good. They would have thought Jesus is God. And this is just one example of the significance of Jesus being the light. All throughout the, the Bible, God is referred to or described as light, as fire, as shining. And that light brings life and truth and freedom and revelation and healing and protection and victory over darkness. And that is the light that Jesus brings. That's the light that Jesus is. So what is the darkness? It's easy to answer this question like we did earlier and just describe all the bad things that are happening in this world, right? All the bad things that are happening to us. Maybe it's the, the people who vote differently than you or the, the people that the news tells you to hate. Or, or maybe it's all this like constant complaining on social media. Maybe social media itself is the darkness or it's all the abuse, all the despots and dictators, all the bad stuff going on out there. That's the darkness. But where does the darkness come from? Where does it come from? I think if we're being really honest, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Think about this. Why haven't enlightened humans ever gotten together and formed an enduring kingdom of righteousness and light and goodness? Why hasn't it ever worked? We've tried. Why hasn't it ever worked? Uh, the celebrated author and thinker G.K. Chesterton around the turn of the century, uh, at least the story goes, is that a newspaper asked him to write in an answer to this question. What's wrong with the world? So G.K. Chesterton wrote them a letter, and the body of his letter to answer the question, what's wrong with the world, said this. I am. Because the darkness is in us. The darkness comes from us. We like to point outside ourselves, but really we should also point to ourselves. We're all fallen, broken perpetuators of darkness. The Bible actually calls this sin. You see, when God created the world, when Jesus created all things, he gave humans this ability called free will. And humans used that free will to break our relationship with God and his creation. And things have been broken 
ever since. Things run down. Things die. People can't keep their act together. Science actually calls this phenomenon entropy. It's a darkness that pervades all of creation, including our hearts. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God or of God's glorious standard. We are all under judgment. We are all part of this darkness. The darkness is sin and its effects on the world. And there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We cannot turn this back. But there's good news. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Your darkness, my darkness, our sin cannot overcome Jesus' light. How? Well, Jesus took the punishment we deserve. You see, because of our sin, because of our darkness, we deserve to be destroyed and along with us, the darkness inside us. But Jesus endured darkness's most powerful tools, death and suffering in our place. We all deserved that, to be far from God, but Jesus was perfectly obedient. In him, there is no darkness at all. And he died in our place for our sins. But that's not all. You see, in our world, everything runs down, everything breaks, everything dies. And when it does, we can't really fix it. I mean, we can like replace parts maybe, maybe like glue some stuff together, but really we can't fix anything. When things die, they die. They're done. But when Jesus died, he wasn't done. Jesus came back to life. Think about this, that's cool in and of itself. It's like, wow, what a miracle. But think about this. If Jesus absorbs all of our darkness and dies to destroy it and doesn't come back to life, maybe our darkness was too much. Maybe our darkness overcame the light. But it didn't. He rose to life and now we have a sure hope that we can have that new life with God. Just like Jesus rose to life, we can raise to life from our darkness and be with God today and for eternity. Now pay attention to the tense of the verse here. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Shines and has not. These are present tense words. Up until now, the passage has been past tense, but now it's present tense and that's because Christ's light continues to shine in our darkness, and our darkness continues to be powerless to overcome it. This, this is our anchor, the sure foundation, the unshakable truth of the Christian faith. Christ is the light. He is our everything. So what does this mean for us? One of the cool things that happens when you receive Christ, when you believe in Christ, is that aspects of life begin to make sense that didn't really make any sense before. Things that we hoped for, just in general, all of a sudden have an anchor. So I actually wanna walk back through the three explanations that our culture tries to give for the light shining in the darkness and show how Jesus gives us something better. So the first one that I wanna do is moral squad. We get the church, not a moral squad. 
Because of Christ, we have community, a squad, a family, not based on our righteousness, but based on Christ's righteousness. Christians have a mission together as a church, not based on our light, but on Christ, the light. Christians do good works together to bring Christ's light into the darkness of this world. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight and nine says this, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Christians live as people of the light. Jesus. That means that we're disciples of Jesus. Disciples who are following Jesus, are being changed by Jesus, and are on mission with Jesus. Some of you in this room have called yourself a Christian for a really long time. But are you a person of the light? Are you truly following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus? How are you actually doing in those three areas? Which one are you strongest in? Which one needs some work? Can you honestly say yes? So here's the good news is that those ways are the absolute best ways to live. Jesus himself said in John 10.10, 10, a thief's purpose, purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I don't know about you, but I want a rich and satisfying life. As we follow Jesus together, his light gives us life, the best life, a rich and satisfying life. So maybe that means for you, maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you've just been kind of sitting, listening, and leaving. Maybe it's time for you to get plugged into a small group. It's time to just figure it out. Make time for it. Get together with the church and say yes to Jesus as the light. Maybe, maybe you need to start serving. Maybe you need to start discipling others. Maybe you need to lead a small group. Maybe you need to help in our youth and children's ministries and start discipling people, passing on the light that you know. It's time. Okay, what about count your blessings? We don't just count our blessings. We look to Christ. In light of what Christ has done, we can have joy and hope beyond our circumstances. Christ, the light, shines in our darkest moments, and that's our anchor, something we can hold on to when life gets dark. We could list all our difficulties on this list, right? Every darkness, every bad thing, we could list it right here and only put Jesus on this list, and it would be enough. That's good news, but it gets even better because also in Christ, we get to see the manifold blessings of God around us every day. We see God's undeserved love in every moment that isn't death or suffering. We see God's love and light in every moment of joy and laughter and happiness. We see God's love in the rising of the sun, the colors surrounding us, the taste of a delicious meal, the touch of a loved one, the exhilaration of romance. These things no longer exist on their own as like pinpricks of light in our dark canvas, but they coalesce. They come together in this brilliant spotlight shining on the love of God revealed to us in Christ. Because those good things that I listed 
and so many more. They're not accidents. They are created things, created by Jesus to reveal God's love for us. But it gets even better. Because in Christ, all is a gift. All means even our sufferings and our hardships. This is a hard truth. But it's true nonetheless. In Christ, our lists of darkness and difficulties and our lists of blessings go on one list as gifts that God can use to turn our eyes to Christ. God redeems all things for his glory. And his glory is our greatest good. Romans chapter five, verses two through six says this. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. It is all rooted, anchored in Christ, the light. So where are you today? Do you need to see Christ's light in your darkness? Do you need to see that Christ himself outweighs all the darkness in your life? Do you need to see the incredible amount of blessings that God showers you with every day through Christ's creation? Do you need to graduate into seeing even the most difficult aspects of your life as gifts for God? So I have just a little challenge today. Don't finish today without opening up the book of John and looking to Christ. Do not go to bed tonight without reading some of the Gospel of John and looking to Christ, letting his light shine in you, and then spend the rest of the week kind of working your way through it. Look to Christ. Do it. Start today. And lastly, good guys win. Good guys win. I mentioned uh, that all our most popular stories point to this belief that good will ultimately triumph over evil, that light will win against the darkness. And we all live kind of with this feeling, right? That life as we experience it is not life as it should be. We sense it, we feel it, we long for this life as it should be. But we all live as, in life as it is. Why is that? Who told you that? Why do we sense that life is not as it should be? Tolkien um, was an author. He wrote Lord of the Rings and some other stuff, but uh, he wrote an essay about fairy stories and the Gospels. 
And in it, he basically makes the case that all our fairy stories, all our fairy tales, all our superhero movies are expressions of truths that we feel should be true, but that we don't really experience in our lives. These truths like there is a true and pure love that lasts forever, that there is a supernatural power beyond our world that we can interact with, that we can escape death, that we can live forever, that good will finally triumph over evil. And in his essay, Tolkien basically makes the argument that the life of Jesus is an example of this life as it should be, punching up and breaking through into life as it is. And that all of our stories were pointing to Jesus in that moment. Because in Jesus, we can know true love that lasts forever. In Jesus, we can experience supernatural power. In Jesus, we can escape death. In Jesus, we can live forever. In Jesus, we can know for sure that the good guys win. Not in some general vague sense of, uh, of good guys winning, but a sure, confident hope that one day Christ will return to make all things right. Christ will return and bring us into his city our forever home. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, all the way towards the end of the Bible, says this about that city. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The Lamb is Jesus. We hold on to that truth, and it allows us to be part of this thing that God is doing, this new beginning that Christ has won with his death and his resurrection. Tolkien actually also, well, he wrote Lord of the Rings. And I think there's a character in Lord of the Rings that really gets it. His name is Samwise Gamgee. There's a scene in there uh, in the book where he's talking to Frodo about all the things they've been through. And he says this, I'm going to read this quote to you. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. That good, our anchor, the light is Jesus Christ. In him, we give all our hope, all our happiness, all our significance, all our security, and even all our sufferings. He is our anchor. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus, that we would look to him, 
that we would receive his light. I pray that you would help us to be true people of the light, that we would really follow Jesus, that we would be changed by Jesus, that we'd be on mission with Jesus. God, help us to look to Christ in all of our darkness and all the darkness of this world. And God, give us this sure foundation that Jesus will win. Amen.